part with his family of the, the movement, the, the, the journeying. And there comes a point in time where uh, there's some settling down and there's all sorts of interesting stuff that goes on. And, uh, and Lot and his family settle in a place called Sodom, which uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are, are names of cities that we usually associate with uh, not good stuff going on. And then, this is what goes on. Let me tell you the situation. God's not happy with the way that people are behaving in these cities. And there is a, uh, a decision made in the heavenlies, I suppose, that those two cities, they're going to be wiped out. But uh, Lot and his family have favor upon them, and they are going to be saved. And what happens is these, uh, these two angels appear. And they come to the city, they come to the city, these angels, and they say uh, to, to Lot and his family, you've got to get out because God's going to destroy these cities. Now the thing about it was, they weren't that excited about going. And uh, the angels were there and said, look, you, you've got to come, you've got to go. And, and, and Lot and his wife and uh, his daughters and sons-in-law were told and, and encouraged it's time to go. And, and actually... What happens is that Lot speaks to the angels and says, hey, why don't you come and, and, and stay at my house tonight? They were happy to stay in the square, but uh, Lot was insistent, no, you've got to come and stay in my house. The thing is, there's stuff going on in that community that wasn't very nice. And the angels go into Lot's house, and then some rather unfavorable individuals start hammering on Lot's door because they want to have access to these Angels, well, men that were there, that they were angels. And, and it wasn't very good, and it's not very nice. And you can read all about this in the book of Genesis. And are you still with me? Okay, right. And then what happens is, is that they are, they are encouraged to go. You've got to get out of here because God is going to destroy this city. You've got to get out. Now, the thing about it is, uh, the sons-in-law, um, the, Lot's daughter's husbands, uh, thought he was having a bit of a laugh. Are you joking, is it? Oh, this isn't going to happen. Um, so they ended up staying behind. But Lot and his wife and his daughters uh, left the city. I think this is the phrase. Uh, the angels were insistent. They've got to come out. And th- this is what, what we read. It says, as soon as they have brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. So it's pretty clear, once you're out of here, keep going. Just, just keep going. Just don't look back. Get out of there. You don't want to stay in that city because stuff is going to be happening that you really don't want to be part of. And then we come to this uh, phrase. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord uh, out of the heavens. This is a great end of year text, isn't it? Come on. Right. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation and the land. So what God promised to happen was actually happening. They'd been running away and then we read this. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Seems strange, doesn't it, that just because you look back, she ended up becoming a pillar of salt. Whether it was 
that she became like just like a salt pillar, you know, of normal salt, or whether it was the fact that she was there and covered in the ash. A bit like Pompey. They found some horses. Did you see that recently? They found some horses in Pompey where the ash from the volcano came over. Whether, what, we don't know for sure. But what we recognize is that in the looking back, there was a problem. In the looking back, there was disobedience in the part of Lot's wife because they said, don't look back, keep going, keep going, keep going. And in, by looking back, what's happened is she has found herself uh, turned into a pillar of salt. George, a philosopher, wrote these words. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Sometimes it's good to look back. Sometimes it's not so good to look back. You see, when we look back, we can see where we have been and then we have an opportunity to decide whether that was a good place that needs to be revisited or a place that was a stepping stone towards where we truly need to be going. And to remember the mistakes. And this is the thing. I always thought to myself, you know, learn by your mistakes. Have you ever heard that phrase? You know, you learn by your mistakes. And then there's the wise person who says, no, the best thing to do is to learn by other people's mistakes so that they make the mistakes and then you don't have to. But what I find is that when I try and learn from other people's mistakes, I don't learn. And it's when I find myself in situations where uh, something's not gone as well as I thought it would. That's how I learn. Is that right? I don't know. You might all be wise people and you can learn from other people's mistakes. But the thing about it is that I got stuck on was this whole thing of the fact that she just looked back means that she was uh, rebuked in such a way which wasn't very nice at all. But then you start to look up because in the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis is written in Hebrew and the word that's used in Hebrew for looked back actually means uh, to regard, to consider, to pay attention to. And what I got this sense as I was reading that this week was the fact that actually Lot's wife looked at what was happening in the city where she came from and she desired to be there rather than be in a place of faith moving to where God had intended her to be. You see, sometimes we reflect upon stuff and we we talk about the good old days. The good old days. Well, the good old days weren't that good in reality. When I used to listen to uh, stories from my grandparents about how things were nostalgic, yeah, it was, it was interesting, it, novel in a way for us listening to those things, what people went through, but I don't think it was that great. And here we have a situation where we might even be looking ourselves as a church and saying, Lord, what have you got for us? But also, is there some good stuff that happened in the past that we need to revisit? Is there some stuff of the past that we need to make sure we don't look back at? And is there something more exciting, something more faith-filled that we need to step into, into the future? You see, the problem with Lot's wife is she'd, she would rather be where they were than have the faith inside to believe where they were going was going to be even better. 
What would be better? And I love the fact that there are many people here who are starting to dream the dream of what God has in store for us here on Brighton Hill. That dreams are starting to stir in people's hearts. Do you know there was 200 odd 50, 250. Well, we gave out over 200 song sheets, but those were song sheets also to families and not to children. So we're looking at around 250 people who joined us on our live nativity. 250 people, guests that were brought into this facility, guests who were fed, guests who were watered, guests who were shared the amazing story of the nativity. People who went away from here having a positive experience of the greatest story that was ever told. And then in my heart, I think to myself, that's 250 people. We have put on an event here that's drawn a crowd. And the next thing is, we have to ask ourselves, what's the next step? How can we build on that to make people come to realize how much God loves them and how much his desire is to be part of their lives and how much he wants to walk with them, whether they go to Norwich or to India? What can we do next? I was looking at this scripture from the psalmist and David wrote these words just reminding us about our mortality in a sense. He says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand's breadth, the span of my years as is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. And when we think about the breath that we have, the small amount of time that we have here together. I mean, this morning, I don't know if you've looked at any news today, that, that, you know, we're starting to reflect upon those who we've lost over this last year. People who've lost loved ones, important individuals in their lives, as well as those who've lost, celebra- we've lost celebrities, important inventors, innovators, musicians, entertainers. And what we realize is this is the reality. We only have a short amount of time. But what are we going to do with that time to make sure that it is a faith-filled life that we live, that we're not hankering back all the time, but we're always looking forward to see what the Lord would have us do. I I thought to myself about investments. What can I invest myself in over this uh, coming year? What could I be doing that's going to change my mind? The Bible reminds us, doesn't it, that that, uh, it, it is God's desire that we would have renewed minds. But not only renewed minds and renewed thoughts, but renewed actions. That I want to do something different. I don't want to be the same Dave today. No, I don't want to be the same Dave a year from now as I am today. I, I, want, to be, I want to be different. I don't want it to be noticeable. But the thought process I need to do is to stop looking back, start looking forward, and ensure that I make some steps towards the reality of being a changed person. So I thought to myself, let's, let's look at some investments. I've got uh, three investments, and I've got about 15 points for each one. So you're right for that, aren't you? So here's some some investments that I thought about. First of all, 
Invest ourselves in knowing God. Listen to what Paul says. This is is a beautiful thing that Paul reminds us about. He he says this. He says, so we have uh, continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete understanding of what he wants to do in your lives. And we ask him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way that you live will always honor and please the Lord and you will continually do good, kind things for others. All the while, you will learn to know God better and better. How about that then? I'm going to invest myself into knowing God, so that at the end of this year, I'm going to know God better. No, not just better, but better and better. I love the way that Paul starts praying, because what he's writing to the church, the the, the Colossians, is this, that that we are desiring to spiritually... um, Speak over you uh, growth and blessing and knowledge and understanding. This is something we need to do for one another. That my prayer over you is that you would come to a deeper understanding of God's amazing love. That you would come to a deeper understanding of his intimacy desire that he has for you. That you can't upset him, put him off. He doesn't disregard you that you might find yourself so immersed in the understanding of God's uh, love for you that it would change the way that you are. Paul just starts off and says, this is what I'm going to ask. I think you'll know him better. How about that then? That's a challenge. Let's invest ourselves into knowing God better. That we might immerse ourselves in seeking after him. That we would pursue him. That, I mean, there's different ways that we could... To know God better. I was just thinking about stuff that we could do that uh, would help me to know God better. Here's some thoughts. Oh. Ah, this is the same thing. That you would know Christ, whom you have sent. That's it. Four concepts. Here's some concepts for you. Four concepts. Point one, four parts. Hey, uh, look at that. Get to know the truth about God. Um, read some stuff. Put yourself out there. Read some stuff. Uh, spend some time. Um, Tozer is a great one. A.W. Tozer. Brilliant book. Um, the Knowledge of God. People like, um, uh, that I used to read, people like Bruce Milne. Uh, know the Truth. Do you remember that one, Trevor? Bruce Milne is a boy. I think he had something to do with Spurgeon's back in the day. Um, Find some stuff by uh, C.S. Lewis that starts to help you to understand something more about God. And then start start reading the scriptures as well, of course. I want to know you more. But not reading it just for, for facts, but to say, Lord, would you reveal yourself a little more? Study Jesus. Here's a good one. There's four brilliant books in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Just, if you want to know anything about Jesus, that's where it is. The written stuff. And as you read this, realize that this is the person we are called to be like. Imitators of Christ. The word Christian means many Christians, many Christ. Mini Christ. We should be that. And therefore, the best thing to do is invest ourselves in getting to know him. How do you know him? Well, read about him. Spend some time. What's he like? How did he deal with situations like this? And how would he want me to deal 
in those situations. Spend time with him. I, I have this, uh, this challenge that I have. I, I don't know whether anybody else would have this thing, is to spend more time reading Scripture and spending time with God than I do on Facebook. The challenge? Or Instagram? Or checking through news channels, BBC or Sky. These are things that are on my iPad. And I spend time here and I sit in my chair and, and just wait upon the Lord. Read and wait. Spend time in his presence. There's this beautiful phrase that I've said here many, many times before. Is that when you spend time in the presence of God, just sit still. Whether you have a five-minute wait in a car or somebody else is shopping or you're picking up and you've got that moment, you can make that a holy moment. I invite you, Lord, here with me right now. Speak to me. I'm listening. Just position yourself to hear him, to spend some time. Carve out a new slot where I used to do this, then I'm going to now do this. Spend time with him. One thing I have, oh, this is David, isn't it? Oh, I love this man. King David, and, and, and I went over to, to the States um, many, many years ago and went to a, a conference led by a guy called Mike Bickle. And Mike Bickle uh, in Kansas uh, leads uh, an amazing prayer center called the International House of Prayer. And this was one of the passages that he spoke about. And when he spoke about it, I realized I did not know God. I had no knowledge of God. I thought I did. I was leading the church at that point in time, so there you go. But when you sit in the presence of somebody who really knows God... And one thing that came out of it was that he spent time in God's presence and he read these words. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. And he spoke uh, so eloquently as one who had spent time in the presence of God Almighty. Whoa! And it, it wasn't in any way showing off. It wasn't in any way being, uh, putting us down, or those who'd gone to the conference, to, to hear what he had to say. But it was an encouragement. He was saying, do you know, this that God is doing to me and through me and how he's revealing himself to me is not because I'm anything special. He desires to do it to you too. That you would know him, really know him. Spend time in his presence. Behold his beauty. Meditate. Ah, oh, my word. Move on. Number four. Respond to him. Now, this is the biggest thing, I, I think, is that once we spent some time in the presence of God, we got to know what he's like. We're understanding something of his character. We understood something of how that is uh, expressed to us in the life of Jesus. We then have recognized that we are spending time in his presence. And all of this stuff is to do something. And that thing is to live that life out to transform a community around us. It transforms us and it transforms the community around us. Therefore, you respond to him. You do things that he would do. You might have done this many, many years ago and you had the wristband that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's a good question to ask in every situation. What would Jesus do here? 
But the thing about it is, when you are starting to look, when you have spent time in his presence, when you know something more of the character of God, when you're aware of the things that Jesus does, don't ask the question, what would Jesus do? Start to look around and say, what are you doing? What is Jesus doing? And get involved with it. I love the work that's happening with the night shelter. Do you know that looks like something that Jesus would do? I love the way that uh, street pastors are out on the streets helping those who have had a little bit too much fun. Do you know what? I think that's the sort of thing that Jesus would do to get alongside those who are struggling with debt, to get alongside those who are finding their lives are being occupied by some form of addiction. That's where I think Jesus would find himself. So it's for us, if it's not happening, then raise up someone, Lord, in this place to make it happen. If it is happening, then raise up individuals who've got a Christ-like heart to go and do those things. Get involved. Respond to him. Put it into practice. Oh, I think I've run out of batteries on here. Oh no, here we go. Did you just press that? Mm, Fair play. Invest in knowing God. That's number one. (sighs) We've only got two more to go. Invest in knowing God. Next thing is uh, uh, invest in your own growth. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all, in all things, grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Um, can, Can we grow? We need to grow. We need to grow spiritually. I need to be more like Christ every day. There's that growth side of things. We need to grow as a church because ultimately uh, healthy things grow. And if we're a healthy church, we won't uh, have trouble in growing. We need to grow. The bigger we grow, the bigger the impact we will have because we have more people. And when we go to multiple services and then we move to multiple sites, all of that is part of the plan, I believe, because Jesus left a very clear uh, directive at the end of Matthew's Gospel and he said, go into all the world to make disciples. It's okay building us up, getting to know God, being discipled here, but the thing about it is disciples make disciples. That's the core. So we're about building what God is doing. But that starts with allowing God to build us as individuals that we would grow. If you is what you was, then you ain't growing. And and we need to grow. That's what I love about our life groups. Because our life groups meet every week and there's a number of groups that happen that you can sign up to if you're not part of it at the moment. But the life groups meet every week and discuss in the presence of Holy Spirit uh, Scripture and start to speak out what is God saying? What is God saying to me? What is God saying to us? What is God saying to the church? What is God saying into the community? And we start to grow. And the biggest thing, because there was a few comments made about the way that we're doing life groups at the moment, about, ah, but we don't have all the questions, and ah, there's not all this stuff. And and, and I understand that sometimes we like to have a bit more meat, but the thing about it is, you've had that, and it made pretty much hardly any difference. So let's do something a little bit different. Let's spend time in the Word of God, 
and then spend time in the presence of the one who brought that word into being and ask him to reveal stuff. To, oh, that makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Well, get used to it. Get used to it. You see, the first Christians didn't have all 66 books bound together. They had what they had, and they had Holy Spirit. And the great thing is that we have what we've got, which is more than they had, and we also have the same Holy Spirit. So we gather together and we say, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Reveal yourself to us. And you see, when we ask God for good things, the Bible reminds us he doesn't give us snakes and stones. He, he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us and enable us to grow. You see, this is what the Bible reminds us. All Scripture is God-breathed. Holy Spirit breathed it in to being. He started it all off. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. That's an equipping. If we need equipping, that's where we find it in the Word of God. It's there for us. It helps us to grow. Get Scripture into your life. Listen to the Word. I, I, only this morning, we're driving into church. Carol reminds, just says to me, did you know, Alexa, we've got Alexa, who's, she's moved into our house, and um, she just plays music for us and tells us the time and how cold it is outside at the moment. But we found out that Alexa can read you Bible stories. How about that? So, hey, we're going to come down. We can say in the morning, Alexa, read us, and we can hear the Word. We can read the Word. You know how to do that. You can open the Bible and read for yourself. You can study. You can go a bit deeper. You can get some other books out and, and a commentary or two. Or, you know, meet together with others. Spend some time studying. Here's another thing is to memorize. We're told in the, in the Scripts, I think Psalm 1 talks about uh, just uh, meditating upon the Word. And as you meditate upon the Word, it's like a tree that is planted beside the river where you're being refreshed. Meditate. Ruminate. There's another word. Chew it over. Memorize and meditate. So you can get Scripture into your life. If you get the Word in, then the Word comes out. That's what I find. Investments. So invest in knowing God. Invest in your own growth. And then the last one here, which is... is uh, I, I just think is so beautiful for us. Let's look at this together. What about this as an investment? Let's invest this year, more so than we've ever done before, in seeing the church of Jesus Christ grow. Let's see that happen. This is what Paul, uh, Matthew says for us in Matthew 16. Jesus' words, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. What about investing in seeing the church grow? Here's a question. Do you know five people who don't know Jesus? Question. Hey, you can say yes or no. If you don't, I know more than five, so I can give you some of mine. But do you know five people that don't know Jesus? It might be members of your family. It might be friends. It might be work colleagues. It might be uh, students where you're studying. Do you know five people who don't know Jesus? If you know five people who don't know Jesus, write their names down. Put it on a piece of paper and this year pray for them.
Five of them. Take five and see what God starts to do. And what are you going to pray? You're going to pray that God will open doorways into their lives, that God will put other believers, followers of Christ across their path, that God will bring circumstances and situations into their life that will ask them to pause for a moment, reflect upon where they are, and ask even the question is, why am I here? That they might see things like an alpha invitation, that they might uh, hear a conversation, that they might say, do you know what, I'd like to go to this or be part of that. Take five people and pray for five people this year. Make them your priority. I don't know if I, I mentioned this recently, but my, uh, my wife's grandfather, so I call him my grandfather, but on my wife's side, my wife's uh, grandfather had a Bible, and in his Bible, he had a list of people he was praying for. And uh, um, my brother-in-law had this old Bible, and just recently he sent me a photograph of the prayer list. The prayer list of my wife's grandfather, and I was on the list. I don't know how long ago, maybe it was because, I mean, he was Anglican, I'm Baptist, he might be just praying me out of error. I've, I've no idea. But I believe that what he was praying is that, uh, that I would grow in my relationship with Jesus, that I would have the knowledge of God, that I would walk in step with the Holy Spirit, that I would find myself captivated by God's goodness in such a way that it becomes um, magnetic and draws others just like you and your relationship with God and the impact that it can have on other people. Take five people. Pray for them. Let me, here's another thing. Let me just push it out there. Um, ah, yeah, I've got something else. I'll go back to that. But if you've not done Alpha for a long time, come to Alpha. Come to Alpha. Because the thing about it is, if you know what you're setting your potential five friends up for, it might not be this Alpha in January, but it might be the one that's in the autumn that we're going to be doing. Start to prepare now for those who you can bring. But the best way to prepare is to come to the course that you're going to bring your friends or your family or your associates to in the autumn. So if you came to the January course that starts in three weeks' time, you can immerse yourself in this amazing uh, course that opens up for us how God is interacting with the world around us that you can say to a friend or a colleague in the future, do you know what? This is happening at my church. You, you know you mentioned this in conversation the other day in the staff room or you know you were chatting about this when we were stood on the sideline watching our kids play football. Why don't you just come? I, I'm going, so do you want to come with me? And then you come back again in the autumn. You've already done it. You know what they're going to experience. And you can feel safe that they're not going to be embarrassed or humiliated, that they're going to be loved and blessed and challenged and they're going to find themselves into a relationship with Jesus by the end of the year. Come on, wouldn't that be awesome? Take five people. Start praying into their lives that God would break in. And then the other side of things, of course, is when we think about God and building his church, um, for most people... The only Jesus they see is you. 
So if you take on board those other points, invest in yourself in knowing God, invest in yourself in your own growth, you will be the person that most clearly demonstrates to the world around us that Jesus is alive. And just wanted to go back to the, to the knowing God one. I forgot this a moment ago. Um, we've got this, uh, this little course coming up, little conference, um, week after next, called Father Heart. You may have picked up the details of it. Um, Andy and Ganilla. Now, some people have said to me, that's exactly actually how they spoke. They went, beginning of the year, so close to our church weekend away. Right, let me just tell you, Andy and Ganilla speak this course all over the world. And for 2019, this was the only weekend that they were available. And we booked it up six months ago. So the caliber of individual who is coming here to speak to us about understanding the Father's heart, knowing that you are a child of God, the people that we've got are phenomenal. Now, some people were a little bit concerned about Ian and Marge, who led us on our church weekend away. But after spending a weekend with Ian and Marge, most people came back, pretty much all people came back and said, aren't they awesome? What a lovely, lovely couple. Aren't they fantastic? Just something about the love of Father God just flowed from those guys. We didn't feel pressurized. We didn't feel pushed. We felt loved into a deeper relationship with Jesus. They were wonderful. Okay, that's Marge and Ian. Andy and Ganilla out of the same mold. And I would absolutely encourage everyone to sign up to be here for the Father Heart. It's a Friday evening, all day Saturday, and then the Sunday morning. Sunday morning service will be different, not like our normal Sunday morning service because Andy and Ganilla are going to lead that so we go into a deeper relationship with Father God. But the Father Heart, if you want to get to know God, invest in knowing God, I just want to encourage you And the thing about the leadership here at Basingstoke Baptist Church, what we believe is what can we put out amongst you to help you to be all that Christ desires you to be? This is what we felt would be good. Timing-wise, well, that could have been better, but if we want the calibre of people that we've invited to come, we had to go with their diary. So if you can move some things around, so you can be here on a Friday night, all day Saturday, There are people coming down from Blackpool to come to this conference. From Blackpool. And I know because they've asked if they can stay in my house. So, Kempshot ain't that far to come across to just invest yourself into knowing God a bit better. There's loads of places. Just come. So here's our investments. This is where we we bring things together just to say, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back because she was pining to go back. She didn't want to leave what there was in Sodom. 
She may have seen her life as the life there being pretty perfect. Her sons-in-law, they got perished. They were perished. They thought it was all a joke. But it wasn't a joke. And God's not joking with us. He says, remember Lot's wife, don't look back. Let's start looking forward. Because looking forward is a step of faith. And in that step of faith, let's take some investments this coming year. Next week when I share, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share with you something of the vision that we have for this church. And some of the things that are lined up that we want to see happening this coming year. And all that will be a step of faith. It will be a step of faith. So let's stand together.